At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Many of us often wonder if going to church is worth it. But what if we told you God has a beautiful design for the church that very much includes you? The book of 1 Timothy speaks to these truths. And if each of us submits to them, our church will function as the loving family God intends. Join us this week as we look at the answers to the question, Church, why bother? So if you would like to join me, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6, as we already read here this morning together. And as Pastor Jeremy said, I'm the Leadership Institute pastor. And so you guys got to see a little video of what we do. We help raise up the next generation of men and women in local and global church ministry. So uh, we do some teaching for people as well as sort of apprenticeships where people get to shadow people in ministry and learn what it is to uh, walk with God uh, vocationally in ministry. And then we also do it on the global side through Global 100, which is an initiative to raise up 100 next generation missionaries to go all over the world, specifically to areas of the world where people don't have access to the gospel where people can't hear about Jesus. And so we want to send people to do that. Uh, and it's because of your guys' faithful support that we're able to do that at Woodside. So I want to say thank you for that on behalf of the Leadership Institute. And also, if any of you are interested in learning more or signing up, I'd love to chat with you afterwards and answer any questions. Well, this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 6, I'm excited to dive in together. And I thought of a story and a topic that we're talking about. It was a little while ago, my mom received a card from her grandson, uh, my nephew. And it was a holiday, and so she got a, a, a card sent to her, to her uh, Nana is what my nephew calls her, his, his grandma. And so Nana got this card, and as she opened it up to celebrate the holiday, I uh, had a little bit of stickers and some of his artwork in there, but money came out. It was like 25, 28 cents. It was like three pennies and a quarter or something like that. And so she thought, oh, you know, and she called uh, her grandson who lives out of state and said, you know, Eli, thank you for the money. Like, you gave me the card, but you know, Nana, I'm the one who's supposed to give you money, not the other way around. And he said, well, you know, you're welcome, Nana. I wanted to do that because I love you. And she said, well, I know you love me, but you didn't have to do that. That's your money. You know, you don't have a lot of it, and you gave it to me. And he said, well, you know, Nana, I know I gave you my money, but I can always go to my dad, and he'll give me more. <laughs> so this morning, we are talking a little bit about money together as a church family and uh, stewarding the resources that God has given us well. We're in the last chapter of Timothy, which is a letter written by the Apostle Paul uh, to his young protege in the faith, a guy who has followed him and looked to his ministry and is now leading a church as a pastor in the Ephesus region himself. And so Paul, over the course of this letter, just to give us a little recap, flyover in the first chapter, he's been recapping the message of the church, what it is we're supposed to believe and proclaim and stand on as people of the church. And in chapters 2 and 3, Paul lays out the members of the church, what we as men and women and leaders in the church are supposed to do, uh, the qualifications and how we're supposed to conduct ourselves. In chapter 4, we see a little bit more about the minister of the church. That is the uh, call of those who are leading the church itself, the pastor. Uh, last chapter, chapter 5, we saw a little bit more about the care for those who are inside the church, how we are to care for those who are maybe less fortunate or situations where uh, we need to care. And then finally, in chapter 6, we're looking at, in many ways, how we live life as people of God, as people of the church, uh, to the world around us. 
And one of those tangible ways we can do that is by stewarding our resources well. And in many ways, Paul is addressing to Timothy, a young pastor, and reminding him, look, Timothy, you're, you're living for me now. You're preaching my word now. But there are some things that I need to impart to you in this closing of the letter that are going to help you finish the race well. And how many of you who have given your life to Jesus know it wasn't just a moment, but you want to say, I want to finish well too. I want to be faithful in how I live for you, God. So let's look together in this chapter as we see three things of how we will finish well when we focus our lives on pursuing Jesus Christ. The first is this, to keep yourself from pride and foolish controversy. In verses 3 through 5, it says this, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, in constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. And then going on in verse 20 and 21, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irrelevant babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. And so Paul, again, is doing what he's done several times throughout this letter. He's reminding Timothy the importance of staying founded on good teaching, staying founded on the word of God and good doctrine. Paul continues to impress this upon his young protege, this young pastor in the faith, to say this is what the church has to be about, standing firm on the word of God and knowing what we believe. In verse 1 earlier in the chapter, he says, Do this so that teaching may not be reviled, He said again in verse 3, anyone that teaches a different doctrine, again, he's addressing this idea of teaching and the importance of good teaching, does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. He reminds us the words of Jesus Christ are what we should follow. And he says in the teaching that accords with godliness. In verse 5, people who are depraved in mind and deprived of truth. He highlights those people who he says in a sense are empty of the truth who are doing things according to their own way or in their own uh, feelings or in what feels or thinks good to them, not in the word. And then finally, verse 20, he reminds them the deposit entrusted to you. Was that deposit a financial deposit? Was that deposit a physical deposit? That was a spiritual deposit by the Holy Spirit founding him on the word of God, saying the deposit entrusted to you in referencing the contrast to that irrelevant babble in contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. I think sometimes when you hear these scriptures, I know I think about, um, you know, these uh, controversies that can come up and debate and things that can be talked about. And to me, sometimes it could just be thinking about maybe like a Facebook topic or a political topic that comes up and how people debate that. 
Well, what Paul is addressing to Timothy here is actually a foundational truth that we as Christians are to believe, and that's the central message in believing in who Jesus is and what he's all about and what he's called us to do. And time and time again, Paul says, look, Timothy, look, us as a church family here in Plymouth, if you're a Jesus person, we got to be about Jesus' teaching. If you're a follower of Jesus, we got to follow what he says. And he says it's so important that we do that because as we hear God's word, it helps us to live out God's word. As we hear and believe and stay in the word of God and stay founded on his truth, it helps us to live as Jesus calls us to live. See, the way we believe shapes how we live. But notice the contrast to that as these... um, Uh, as people are puffed up with conceit. And there was this specific false teaching that's going on here at the end of this section about money saying that godliness is a means to gain. This, you know, false teaching is coming up saying if you're a Jesus follower, then everything is going to go well for you. That godliness, the more godly you become, the more zeros you'll have in your bank account. The more you look like Jesus, the more your wallet will be bigger. And as we know, as we look to the teaching of Jesus and the word of God, that is not true. It's not that once we follow Jesus, everything goes well in life. It's not that once we find Jesus, we get the promotion at our job, etc., etc. But here's what happens when people believe a lie or a false teaching. It leads to this. An unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words produces, here's what it produces, envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicion, and constant friction among people. Now, I don't know when you hear that list, but that's kind of a bad list. Like, I don't want to be found on that list. That's qualities that we don't want to possess in our life. If any of us put this on our resume for our job interview, chances are we're probably not even getting the first round interview. But you think about these things in our life, I think the one that stands out to me is constant friction among people. We're not called to be friction people amongst each other, causing conflict and quarreling and fighting. But what happens when we believe lies and hear false teaching? We don't begin to live like Jesus, but we live the way we want to live. We live how we want to feel. And it causes envy and division. And we become prickly and jerks. And it's not a good way to live, right? But we think about our own lives. Maybe there's an area in your life where you look at this list and it can be easy to think about, well, these are just maybe non-Jesus people. These are just people who aren't Christians. Well, I hate to say it that when I read this list, there are areas that I struggle with here. These are things that sometimes in my life come to the surface. And I realize they come to the surface more when? When I'm not believing Jesus and his word. When we're not in his word and looking to him for how we should live. I think about this uh, just in the, in the way that we live. When you think about the problems in our life or the areas of our life that are at a gap with how God calls us to live, we want to look at those for a minute this morning. We want to look at those together and ask the Spirit to help us in those areas to be better Jesus people, to be better by the power of the Holy Spirit, to look like Jesus, live like Jesus, and walk out the words of Jesus. But how are we to do that? The first thing is we have to identify the problem. It's saying I have an area in my life where I haven't, you know, surrendered to the will of Jesus or I'm struggling or I'm holding on to or in this list. One of these is kind of describes me in the area of a coworker at work or an area of my family or marriage. And when you identify the problem, then it's time to ask some questions. 
And this morning, we may step on a few toes because we are talking a little bit about money, but it's not my intention to say Woodside needs your money and that's why I'm up here, you know, give more because God needs your money or else. But my intention here is to draw us back to the word of God, to be people of Jesus so that we can live out the abundant life that Jesus calls us to. And so if we have a problem in our life where sin has entered in and we're struggling with something, we have to identify that problem and then start asking why questions. Why is it in the area of money, perhaps, do I struggle with spending? Do I feel like I have to keep up with everybody else in the areas of my appearance or the things that I wear or technology? Or why is it when it comes to money, I feel like I do go into debt more than I do save? And when we start to look at the problems in our life, maybe it's not in money, but it's in an area where you come back to time and time again as an addiction, where you think maybe this thing will satisfy me after work instead of God. And so we go to things like drinking or pills or uh, things outside of the will and way of God. When we think about these problems in our life, we have to ask these why questions. Like, why am I doing this? Uh, When did this start? How do I feel when I struggle with this? Um, What is driving this? Is there any fear associated with this? Um, Is there any, I think I might be, I think I might be, uh, am I good? Okay, is it good? Okay, we're good. You guys can hear me? All right, all right, you're not putting you to sleep yet? We're good, all right. Uh, So you start asking these why questions, you know, why is this going on in my life? Uh, Is there a trigger associated with this? And then you can pinpoint the lie to apply God's truth of who Jesus is. You know, just recently, uh, over the summer, tragically, my wife and I experienced miscarriage. And so we were uh, delivered that news, and my wife, uh, you know, uh, went through that. It was very early on in the pregnancy. But I noticed, like, weeks and months later, like, I just was struggling with anger. And, you know, it was coming out as I was driving. It was coming out at work. And, you know, this was area in my life not, not congruent, not in the way that a Jesus follower should be living. And so as I pinpointed that problem, these things in my life, it actually took me a while in talking to people and asking those questions that I pinpointed this lie that I was believing, this lie about God, that maybe he's not as good as I know he is in his word. And as we pinpoint the problems in our life, it often leads us back to a lie that we're believing that takes us off the truth of who God is. And why Paul says to Timothy, why God's word encourages us this morning to stand firm on the word of God and who he is and what he says in his truth is because when we live a lie, we're not living the abundant life. As we talk about money more here in a minute, it's not just that God wants you at Plymouth to give more money so that, you know, because God needs it, it's because maybe there's a lie that's an underlying root of what is leading you to more materialism that Jesus wants to take out. Why? So that we can be more joyful, so that we can be more peaceful, so that we can be more caring and compassionate towards others. So what is it, I ask in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit, that we do have in our life that's not congruent with him? Let's look to one specific issue here this morning, and that's the issue of around finances. And the lie here is that godliness leads to gain. But Paul says, here's the truth associated with that. Let's continue in point two. We're called to avoid the snare of discontentment and wealth. Paul writes this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these things we will be content. 
But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Paul doesn't say that, the, that money is the root of evil, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Continuing in verse 17, As for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to, be set, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of, what, uh, of that which is truly life. Now, Paul here is addressing a specific issue that is important for us as followers of Jesus, as human beings, to assess in our own lives. And that's the area of money. Now, it's not a popular topic. I think this is something that, you know, Jesus people and people who aren't following Jesus have in common. We don't like to talk about our money. We like to kind of keep it our own, our own thing. You know, we don't like to be transparent about our salaries, about our giving, about all of those factors. But Jesus said, actually, money is a pointer to a greater treasure. How you spend your money and resources actually points to something. And Jesus talked about money a whole lot, even more than he talked about lust or anger. And Paul is encouraging Timothy, look, you're a young pastor. You've got to remind the people of your church that this kingdom and money and material things is not all that there is. That there is a greater hope. That there is a greater king. That we serve a savior who, yes, came for us and died, but rose from the dead and is coming back again one day. So we don't put our hope in the things of this world, but our hope in eternity. And our treasure is not here in heaven, but, or sorry, not here on earth, but it is in heaven because of Jesus. And Paul is addressing this issue of money. And he says on the flip side in the verse before, the false teaching, the lie that people could believe is godliness leads to gain. But what Paul says is actually uh, not that godliness leads to gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. What is contentment? It's a good thing to talk about in this passage, thinking about that together here this morning. It is having a satisfaction in what you have and where you are and not desiring more. How can we have that in this world, in this life? Because of Jesus. Because Jesus did something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves and he's given us something through faith in him and his work on the cross that no one can take away from us. Our, uh, our eternity is set and secure by grace through faith, through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and now we can treasure him above everything else because our kingdom is no longer of this world but our kingdom is in heaven. It's because of Jesus that we can be content. But what is the opposite of contentment? It's discontentment. Uh, I think there's really a couple areas where it's the opposite of contentment. It's discontentment or it's, on the other side, comfort. So the trouble with contentment is life happens. Like the trouble with staying content is that hard things happen in life. Like it would be easy if nothing bad ever happened on this life. But we know Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 
So what happens when there's a physical deficit in our life? We experience a health issue or we lose a loved one. It's that there is a level of discontentment there, a righteous discontentment that death isn't supposed to happen, a righteous discontentment that this isn't right. We know the last enemy to be defeated shall be death. So yes, when problems happen and we experience suffering, there's a level of discontentment, like this isn't right, God. But here's what Paul's driving home to us this morning. It's that money can't solve our discontentment. The troubles, toils, and struggle in our life, that money will not fix that. Money will not fill the void or issues or trouble in our life. Only Jesus can. And Jesus does. Amen? He is our healer. He is the one who is with us no matter what. He's given us his spirit in that no matter what circumstances you may face, no matter what trial you may uh, encounter, it's not to say we ignore those hard things we go through or to say as Jesus people we don't experience those things. It's that we have a hope that's greater than anything this world can satisfy. And his name is Jesus And he's died for you and rose from the dead and sent his spirit to live inside of us. It's the secret to contentment. Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him, Christ, who strengthens me. It's amazing in Paul's letter to the Colossians, he he commends them and encourages them for their love towards other brothers and sisters. But he says they do it because. They live in such a way because. Why is the because? Because they have an eternal hope. Because their hope is set on Jesus Christ. Friends, our hope here this morning isn't in a bigger house. Our hope isn't in a faster car. Our hope isn't in anything this world can offer us. Our hope is in a living, breathing, loving, dying, and resurrecting God who's with you in whatever you face, who's with you today, and who's calling you to a greater purpose than to amass just a kingdom on this earth. He calls us to a heavenly kingdom to set our hope in it and to pursue that and put it above anything in this world. Paul says this going on, that if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. He says, look, if you got a shirt on your back, which all of us do, praise God, that'd be a little awkward. If you got a, if you got a sandwich in your belly, if you had breakfast this morning or you know you can have dinner tonight, like we can be content because we have a roof over our head and we have food and clothing, that's contentment. But here's what the world says, is, is that enough? Don't you, don't you need more? Don't you want more? Is God really good enough? Is what you have really enough? And so this morning, friends, be grateful and have gratitude towards what God has given you, that he has supplied everything you need for godliness in Jesus Christ. It's that heart of gratitude that allows us to be content. Gratitude leads to more contentment. And he goes on to say, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin. The love of money is the root of all evil. See, here's the thing is, material things come and go. Money comes and goes. Money is a terrible savior. Money cannot save you from sin, Satan, and death. Only our savior can. 
But here's what hundreds and thousands of advertisements say, is if you get that new car, if you get those new shoes, if you move into that new house, then you will experience true satisfaction. Has it worked yet? Nope. We need Jesus. And that's Paul's encouragement to Timothy early on in his journey, later in his journey, is that our hope is in Jesus Christ. He's who's building a kingdom who we're building, is keeping our eyes off ourselves and material things of this world and fixing them on Jesus, our King and our Lord and the kingdom that he calls us to build. But here's the flip side, I think, of contentment. There's discontentment, but there's also comfort. See, sometimes we can say, uh, well, I'm content because I'm comfortable. But sometimes God calls us out of our comfort zone. That's really what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is sometimes stepping out in sacrificial love to give in a generous way. And my encouragement to you is to literally think about your resources, your financial means, and to ask God to say, Lord, help me to look at where I am, and am I just being comfortable with what you've given me? Are you calling me, God, to step outside my, your, my comfort zone and to start giving here at Woodside? Are you calling me, God, to step outside my comfort zone financially and to give to some cause or someone that's in need? Are you calling me, Lord, to step outside my comfort zone instead of just trying to amass more wealth here on earth, to live open-handedly, and I'm not saying it's bad to invest or to buy stocks or anything like that. What I'm saying is, is when that becomes what you're focused in and your comfort is in, money not only makes a bad savior, it makes a bad comforter. We have a comforter, the Holy Spirit, who's with us. And guess what he does? Hey, Scott, you got you to step out and give more. And funny thing, I feel like this comes out even more in marriage. Uh, so I've been married three years. And, you know, I grew up in Troy in a pretty good uh, neighborhood. You know, we had a pretty good upbringing uh, for my parents and my wife. She grew up in South Warren, uh, single family home, didn't have a lot growing up had to pursue a lot of scholarships in school. And so little things we started marrying, as we started getting, walking in marriage, started coming out where I realized I'm a little greedy. I need to be more generous. One of those was like the thermostat. Like we had that conversation, you know, like, all right, where are you going to set that thermostat? She's like, look, we can save more money if we just turn it down a couple, you know, just that, I know that's, I know that's kind of silly, but those things started coming out and we started having those conversations and looking at our finances together saying, hey, how can we be better stewards of the kingdom of God and remembering that money doesn't hold us, but we, by God's grace, have money to live open-handedly. So maybe that looks like a conversation with your family or with your spouse. So just take a minute and say, hey, how are we doing with our finances? How are we doing with our giving? And just to take a minute and ask God, is it time for us to step more outside of our comfort zone to build God's kingdom financially? Okay, I've be beaten you guys up about money enough. Let's move on to point three. Finally, Paul says this. He says, pursue the life and light of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verses 11 through 16, he says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about, with, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 
I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Paul sets the bar high for Timothy. He says, look, there are treasures in this world that people will pursue, but there is a heavenly treasure that is more glorious, more greater, more satisfying than any earthly treasure. And that is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. That is God, our creator. He is more worthy of pursuit. He is more worthy of our time. He is more worthy of our talent, more worthy of our treasure than any created thing. And Paul points Timothy back to that in conclusion of his letter, reminding him, look, Jesus made this confession before Pilate that he's not building an earthly kingdom, but he's pursuing a a heavenly kingdom. And he says, this is the confession we stand on and live out, that we're Jesus people. As we face problems and struggles, we can experience those things with contentment and experience gain Not because we get material things, but because we recognize we have everything we ever need in Jesus Christ. Amen? And so we look together as a church family and pursue the life and light of our Lord Jesus. It'd be one thing to say, look, you got to watch out for your money habits and your hang-ups with money and the debt and the things that you're, you're having. And so, you know, go do X, Y, or Z. See, if you left it on anything else that's created or any other pursuit, it's just another idol. It's not something that can satisfy you. Only God can satisfy us. And so Paul reminds Timothy his identity. He said, O man of God, pursue these things. O daughter of the king, O son of the king, pursue these things. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. What an amazing list contrasting to those earlier verses, right? And how many of you want your life to be marked by these words? And that's what Paul's call to Timothy and to us is, is to look to Jesus. And as you look to Jesus by his grace and the power of the Spirit, these things become birthed out of you in your life. As you pursue gratitude and generosity, these things become birthed out of you in your life. So people will see the righteousness of God, his godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. I encourage you this week as you think about your life and as you think about the things God is calling you to pursue to, you know, it's not about, you know, putting that brand new car on the fridge and saying that's, you know, that's my goal. That's the next thing to achieve. That's the next thing to attain. Maybe this is the list that we put up on our fridge to say, God, help me to be more like this by the power of the Spirit to look more like Jesus in this area because he is our King of kings and our Lord of lords. And for those of you that are going through that grief, loss, pain, or suffering right now, my encouragement and reminder is that Jesus is with you. He's a kind-hearted shepherd who died in your place. And he's a conquering savior who's Lord and King of kings. And he's with you in the valley. And that 
uh, ministers to you in places that money and anything in this world can't. So let's look to him in worship together and let's, let's extend that message of the gospel that he is for all in satisfaction, hope, and salvation because of his death, burial, life, and return. That's our hope, church family. That's what we look to this morning. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.